Good morning, Grace. Uh, I'm excited to be with you today. We are in Jeremiah chapter 33 as we finish up our series, Hope and a Future, where we've been looking at the life of Jeremiah, and we've been walking through what does it look like for us to become kingdom dreamers? What does it look like for us to inhabit the dream that God has for us? What, what does it look like for us to be people of purpose? And, and, and this morning, I, w- I was going to preach from Jeremiah 34. I had it all lined up, was ready to go. And as I started to look at this text, I just got drawn to Jeremiah 33 and, and felt like we just needed to stay there. Uh, this morning. I I feel like this has been a tough week. I I don't know if you guys feel this. I feel like there's a kind of collective fatigue around our church, uh, around our city, around our nation. Um, There's a collective tension that's in the air. Everybody's fighting. Everybody's dialoguing. Everybody's treating each other poorly. There's all kinds of crazy things going on. And the question that I've been led to this week is, is, what do we do when hope is hard to find? Like what do we do when, when hope isn't right around the corner, when, when the outlook isn't positive, when the desert seems really long, and when the challenges in front of us seem to grow more and more and more? And what I'm realizing about myself, what I'm realizing about my own spiritual disciplines and my own spiritual practices is that my outlook is too, far, too often shaped by my circumstances, is that my media intake is often greater than my scripture intake. I'm I'm realizing that I need to take captive my thoughts. I need to focus on on what God is doing rather than focus on what's happening all around me. Uh, And so in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 1, we see Jeremiah in a similar place. There is a collective fatigue among the people. The Babylonians have come. Jeremiah is in prison. He's given them the word that the city is going to be taken, that they're going to be taken into exile. There is frustration. There is fatigue. Everybody is angry. Everybody's upset. Jeremiah has chosen to invest in the future that God has for him. He's starting to see the glimpses of a brighter future, but it's still not there yet. And so in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. And that's what I want to focus on today. I want to focus on the word of the Lord coming a second time. And it says, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard, while he was still in prison, he gets a second word. Uh, and, and this is where I want to zero in. The, the, the first word was, times are going to be hard. The first word was the Babylonians are coming. The first word is we're going into exile. The first word was this is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience death. You're going to experience brokenness. The temple's going to be taken away. Your dwelling place is going to be taken away. Your homes are going to be taken away. Everything is going to be shaken. Everything is going to be upset. Everything is going to change. Everything is going to be transformed. That's the first word. Invaders are coming, and they're going to steal, kill, and destroy. And for us, it feels like we've been getting these nasty, these negative, these terrible first words in our culture in the same way that Jeremiah got them in theirs. We, we first got word that there was a virus, and that this virus was spreading, and that it was dangerous. Then we got word of, of, of racial injustice. We got videos of George Floyd, and we got more and more pictures of the, the racial crisis in our country and how systemic racism is destroying our country. Then we start facing an economic crisis. 
where financially people began losing their jobs, where financially pe- companies started cutting back, where, 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 where collectively we began to feel the tension of an economic crisis. Then we're in the middle of a political crisis where our politicians have absolutely failed us in this moment where they're bickering and fighting and divisive rather than bringing us together, they're tearing us apart. Rather than bringing real leadership that draws everybody together, they're politically posturing over and over and over again. And, 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 and then we got word this week, I, I know every parent in, in the congregation is feeling this word. I got word that I'm a homeschool parent again. I got word that the kids are not going back to school as I anticipated, and that I'm going to have to both work my job and be a homeschool dad for a long season of time again. And no matter who you are, no matter where you stand on any of those issues I just named, there is a collective fatigue, there is a collective tension, there is a first word that we've received that is crisis. But the good news is, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. The good news is that God isn't done speaking. And that second word was like water from heaven. That second word was not about crisis. It was not about struggle. It was not about more challenges that we were going to face. That second word was the presence and the power of God showing up and healing what has been broken. It's the presence and power of God showing up and doing more than we ever hoped or imagined. It's the word that Jeremiah had been waiting on. He had proclaimed the first word. He had been faithful to the first word. He had lived in obedience during the first word. He had lived in such obedience that he had been taken to prison. He he had lived in such obedience that that he he had begun to doubt his identity. He began to doubt whether he's really a prophet. He'd begun to doubt all of these things. He'd been mocked. He'd been sent to prison. But he had obeyed every step of the way. And he lived with the first word for a really long time. And so when that second word came... It had to be the greatest word that he'd ever received. Here's what I want you to understand. The word of the Lord is not imprisoned. The word of the Lord is not dependent on our circumstances. There is always a second word. God doesn't get locked up in chains. He doesn't leave us in chains. He doesn't leave us in the desert. He doesn't leave us in the broken place. He doesn't leave us in the pain. He doesn't leave us in the hurt. He doesn't abandon us in our prisons. He keeps speaking. And the good news for Jeremiah and the good news for us today is that he's not done yet. And when we lack hope, when we're struggling to find where the hope is in our world and in our culture, what we do is we turn to him. Here's a spiritual practice that I want us to to kind of hold over all that we're talking about today. This spiritual principle that is this. Those who obey the first word hear the second word. Those who obey the first word, those who walk in obedience into the first word begin to experience the second word. Verse 2 says, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. There's a great word. I will give you great and hidden things that you have not known. This is is how growth happens. 
This, this is how transformation happens. Uh, I, I know we've used this grid before, but I want to show you a little grid that, that we teach and train in on, on how we grow, on how we learn, and how we're transformed, and how God moves us from where we are to where he wants us to be. This is a principle developed by a, a theologian by the name of Walter Brueggemann, uh, who teaches uh, a lot about the Old Testament. He's a great Old Testament scholarship scholar. And, and, and here's what he says. He says the, the movement is the movement from orientation orientation to disorientation to reorientation. We are oriented in a specific way of life. We are oriented in a specific way of, li- of living. We become comfortable in the way that we live. For Jeremiah, he was just a prophet. He just was like a pastor. He shared God's word. This is what God's doing. This is what God's saying. It was normal. But then the word of the Lord came to him. He was invited to step into a place of disorientation. He was invited to step into a place of pain, a place of challenge, a place where it didn't feel as safe and secure. He was invited into a place where he didn't really know what the outcome was going to be. He was invited to begin declaring that something big was happening. He was invited to begin preaching that the Babylonians were coming, that trouble was coming, that captivity was coming, that exile was coming. He was invited into this space of disorientation. And in that space of disorientation, we have to trust that God is good even when our circumstances aren't. And so he moved from being a prophet to being in prison. He moved from being an everyday pastor to being someone who is mocked and ridiculed. He moved from being comfortable to being deeply uncomfortable. And he moved from orientation to disorientation. That disorientation when it comes in our life, that shaking when it comes in our life, it always is met with resistance. We want what's comfortable. We want what's safe. We want what's easy. We want what's secure. And we don't want to step into the place that God has called us to when that place is difficult. We, we, we actually, this is the picture of the American church. The American church wants comfort more than it wants obedience. The American church wants to be safe more than it wants to speak truth. The American church wants to be secure and okay and to feel good about ourselves. We want positive things and, and happy things and hugs and, and all of those things, but we don't want to walk into the difficult spaces that God is inviting us to walk into. And so God pushes us into the desert He pushes us into disorientation, but he's moving us from the desert to the promised land. He's moving us through this space of disorientation and to a place of reorientation. He's moving us to a place of promised land. He's moving us to a place where we move from the first word to the second word. And he's moving us to a place of peace. So for Jeremiah, he moves from being a prophet to being in prison to being at peace. Orientation disorientation, reorientation. And the truth is, and it's a hard truth, but sometimes we have to walk through the valley to get to the promised land. Sometimes we have to step into the fire in order to be refined. Sometimes we need to stay in the desert to discover the water from heaven that's coming. And right now we find ourselves as a church, as a country, as as a world, we find ourselves as a first word people. 
who are living in the first word, who are standing in this precipice of disorientation, who are standing in the middle of the desert looking back saying, I don't want to experience this. I don't want to walk through this pain anymore. I'm tired of the collective fatigue. I'm tired of the collective tension. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. And I want you to know that if it's not good, then God's not done. That if it's not good, then he's not done yet. That he's still working. That he's still moving. In, in, my, ho- in my home, we have a couple little quotes, a couple little things that are, that are placed around my bedroom so that they're the first things that I see when I wake up in the morning. And one of those is a quote from C.S. Lewis, and he says this, There are far, far greater things ahead than anything we leave behind. There are far, far greater things ahead than anything we leave behind. So we become a people who believe in the second word. We become a people who live for the second word. We become a people who go and create the world that we want to live in. We don't live without hope. We have perseverance. We have this perseverance to walk through. Because here's the thing. If we don't know our purpose, we will never walk through disorientation. If we don't understand our purpose, if we don't understand our God-designed calling on our life, the kingdom dreams that God has awakened for us as a community and for us as individuals, if we don't know what those are, then we'll just stay in the desert forever or we'll run back to whatever's easy. If we don't have purpose, we don't have vision. And if without vision, we, we don't have perseverance. We can't walk through the pain. And so when we reach that moment of disorientation, we just quit. I, I believe the, word, the Lord has given us a word this morning, and that is that there are many of us in this church who are living in the first word when God wants to offer you a second word. But what it takes to get from the first word to the second word is obedience. What it takes is walking through it. I, I love what this passage says. It says, the one who formed it will establish it. The one who formed it will establish it. The one who gave you the word will make the word come to pass. The one who calls you, equips you. The one who invites you, gives you everything you need to get through the desert. The one who has, who has stepped into this space and called us to a challenging space has also seen the vision of what the church could be on the other side of this. And I believe the church can be better on the other side of COVID. I believe the world can be better on the other side of this racial crisis. I believe the world can be better on the other side of this political crisis. And I actually believe that I can be a better dad on the other side of being a homeschool dad. So today, here's the question. Could you ask for a second word? Are you living in the first word and you need a second word? Or could you trust that God is inviting you to build a better world, that he's inviting you to step into the space of pain and fatigue and tension and brokenness and to actually be a rebuilder? Verse 4, this is, this is where it gets tough again. There's first word stuff and there's second word stuff in verse 4. Here, here's the first word part. It says, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the house of the city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make defenses for the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in anger and my wrath. For I've hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. First word stuff. Death is coming. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be painful. Here's the second word, verse six. But behold... I will bring to health and to healing. I will heal them and reveal to them abundance and prosperity and security. 
when we obey, when we obey, it will be challenging, but it will also be good. There is a pushing through that needs to happen. There are investments that need to happen. There is obedience that needs to happen. There is perseverance that needs to happen. And sometimes what has to happen is death. It says dead bodies of men will fill the space. Like there, there is a death that needs to happen so that we can receive new life. There's something old in us that needs to die in the desert so that we can see the promised land. There is something in us that needs to go away so that we can see what God has for us. Obedience always brings breakthrough and purpose is always revealed over time. And so we walk faithfully into the challenges of the world. We walk faithfully into the difficult things that come, trusting that after the drought, there always comes rain. That after we work out, there actually becomes some growth and some weight loss. That after the fire, there is refining. And, and listen, I don't, I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but I know that I can walk in obedience today. I don't know what n- new story is going to hit the press tomorrow. I, I don't know what new news we're going to get this week, what other first words we're going to get this week. But I know that I can walk in obedience today. I know that I can surrender my life. I can surrender my heart. I can surrender my mind. I can surrender everything I have in trusting that a faithful God is at work even when the world is shaking, even when it feels like we're in the desert, even when there's a collective fatigue, a collective tension, and it feels like everybody is is just a powder keg ready to explode. In the middle of those moments, I can work for good. I can work for the Father. I can work for justice. I can stand Firm in what he's called me to do, trusting that a second word is coming. Verse 7, here's some more second word stuff. This is good stuff. It says, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel. I will rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt and their sin against me, and I will forgive the guilt of their rebellion against me. There's, this is beautiful words of what God does after the desert and what he does in the desert. There's three things that he says. The first is he's going to restore The Greek word for restore means to literally give back. I'm going to give you back everything that you've lost. This is what he's saying. And for God's people in that moment, it's unimaginable how God will give them back what they've lost. We've lost our homes. We've lost the temple. The city is actually in ruins. Everything has fallen apart. But I'm going to give it all back to you. Whatever you've lost in this season, whatever income, whatever vacations, whatever sports seasons, whatever health, whatever friends, whatever loss you've experienced in this season, God is going to give it back. The entire story of God. The entire story of Scripture, all of the Bible, is this story of restoration. From the beginning to the end, from the first page to the last, it is a story of God putting his family back together again through Jesus. It's God restoring the original creation that he created for us in the garden. It's him making all things new. It's him making us new in the process. That as he restores the world, he restores us. As he rebuilds the world, he rebuilds us. As he cleanses the world, he cleanses us. And this invitation for us is to become a people who do the same. That we become a people who give back what's been stolen. That we take back what hell has stolen from us. 
that we restore the economy of the kingdom of God, that we become the people who bring restoration into relationships, that bring restoration into neighborhoods, that bring restoration into communities. And the second thing that he says is, I'm not just going to restore, but I'm going to rebuild. He doesn't just restore what we had before, but he rebuilds something new. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in this season of your life that God is rebuilding something new? That he's taking the foundations that have been knocked down, foundations that were built on sinking sand, foundations that were built on wrong ideologies, foundations that were built on things that will not last, and he's saying, let's rebuild this and let's rebuild the foundations so that the foundations become something strong. I believe that God is rebuilding the foundations of the American church right now. It, 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 it's foundations that were built on individualism, consumerism, that were built on all of these different things that are not going to grow the church. And God is rebuilding those foundations and saying, no, 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 no. This is not who you were called to be. Let's rebuild this. When we rebuild, what we do is we make it better. Restore is to bring something back. To rebuild is to bring something better There is a new foundation. What is that new foundation that God wants to build in your life right now? What's that new foundation he wants to build in your business right now? What's that new foundation he wants to bring for your family right now where you're going to be rooted and built on something fresh and something new and something that will last and something that will stand? And then the last thing is he's going to cleanse us. Oh, Lord, we we need cleansing in our country right now. He's going to remove the blemishes. He's going to remove what's unpure. He's going to prune and cut back. This is the hard work that God does in the exile. And it's not just the work that he does in the church and in our country. It's the work that he does in us. He cleanses us and makes us new. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to first confess we have to recognize that we've built, we've built our worlds on things that won't last. We've built foundations that aren't strong, and we need to be restored, and we need to be rebuilt, and we need to be cleansed. We need to ask forgiveness for the sins that we've committed. We need to ask forgiveness for our individualism, for our consumerism. We need to ask forgiveness for our racism. We need to ask forgiveness for all of the ways in which we have stood in places that the Father's never called us to. So today... No matter where you are, no matter where you stand, no matter how shaken you feel, no matter how deep in the desert you are, or way over here in the promised land, or just starting saying, wait a minute, there's something going on? I didn't realize there was something happening. God is willing to restore. He's willing to give you back what's been lost. He's willing to rebuild on new foundations that are strong and secure, and he's willing to cleanse you from anything that has held you back. And he's willing to do all of that hard work. But here's the thing. We have to go with him. We have to do the work too. We have to actually walk through the desert. We have to actually live for a moment in the first word before we get the second word. We have to stand in obedience in the first word before we get the second word. And I don't know if there's been a time in my life where I've been more collectively discouraged with where we are. I don't know if there's been a time where I've been more frustrated with the American church. I don't know if there's been a time when I've been more frustrated in my personal life with where we are, with a lack of unity. But I know this, as we walk through our deserts, 
We need each other. Like this is what the church does. This is who, who the church is for. And when what's happening right now is we're allowing culture to divide the church. We're allowing, allowing unity inside the church to be divided by our news stations and our politicians. And it is evil and it is opposed to God and it is not right. In the church, we need to stand together in unity, rooted in the word of God, led by the spirit of God, trusting in the hope of God, believing that the first word has come, but the second word is coming. And it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be good. What we need right now is we need to walk together in obedience. And in the middle of the desert, what we need is we need our brothers and sisters bringing us water. We need our brothers and sisters encouraging us to walk forward and to keep going. We need encouragement. We need co-discernment of what is God doing. We, we need words of love and of grace and of mercy. We need peacemakers in our culture. We need hope. And the rest of the world may be complaining, but let's be the people that are restoring. And the rest of the world may be fighting, but let's be the people that are rebuilding. And the rest of the world may be doubling down on worldly knowledge and worldly living, but let's be the people that cleanse our hearts, that cleanse our minds, that cleanse our thoughts, that take every captive, every thought captive, and become the people that live into this. Um, verse 9 could just be our benediction for the day. It's where we're going to end today. And it just says this, And this city shall be for me a name of joy and a praise of glory before all the nations of the earth, who shall hear all the good that I do for them. For they shall fear and tremble because of all the good and the prosperity I provide for you. I love this. The world will actually be afraid because of all the good and the prosperity that I provide for you. <laughs> Take the word city out, and let's add church. Let's, let's, let's listen to this. This is, this is our prayer today. And Grace Marietta shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good things I do for them. And they shall fear and tremble because of all of the good and the prosperity I provide for you. Imagine a world where, where, where the rest of the world is afraid because of all the goodness God has given us. Where the rest of the world is like shaking their heads. What's going on? There's so much abundance. There's so much goodness. There's so much going on here. It'll be a name of joy. It'll be a praise. You'll be a glory before all of the nations. So today, I just want to invite us to three really simple things, and we're going to have some time for discussion for you. And, and, and whether you're meeting in a watch party or whether you're meeting with your family, uh, I, I want to encourage you a couple things. One is, I know it's hard to watch these on video. I know it's easy to press pause and go get a coffee. I know it's easy to, to, to pick up your phone and start browsing Facebook or whatever during the middle of the sermon. I know it's easy to not be present when there's a medium that is... Uh, the one that we have right here, it's a camera. Uh, when we have just a TV that we're watching or a computer or a phone that we're watching, it's easy for us to get distracted. But I want to invite you to really engage in these questions at the end of these messages. Even if it's just you in your home, just take time quietly with the Lord and spend some time with Him. And, and, and so I want to invite us to be the people that ask for a second word. I, I believe we're living in this space right now. We've received the first word. There is a virus. There is a racial crisis. There is a political crisis. There is a financial crisis. We are living in the middle of four collective crises in our world right now. Would you give us a second word, Lord? Second, I want to invite you to be a builder of the world that you want to create. If you have a dream that God has given you, then walk through the desert to get there. If it's hard to get there, 
then step into the pain. Have some grit, have some determination, have some perseverance, and have this trust that on the other side of the desert, there is a promised land. And the third thing I want to invite us to do is just to walk together. Like I, I'll just be honest, church, I need you right now. I, I need you to be a, a positive force in my life. I, I need you to, to, to be unified. I, I, I need you to be loving and encouraging me. And what we're doing is we're just tearing each other down. And we need to walk together. So here's a couple questions for you to reflect on. Uh, the first thing is, is pray for a second word. Pray for a second word. If, you, if we've received the first word, then, then pray that the Lord will give you a new word. Uh, for many of you, you know your kingdom dream and you know the desert that you have to cross. But for some of you, you haven't experienced it yet. And so you need to pray and say, Lord, give me a purpose. Give me vision. Give me uh, eyes to see what's on the other side of the desert so that I can push through and so that I can have perseverance. Um, Discuss in your group uh, where you find yourself on that grid. Are, are you living in orientation? Are you living in disorientation? Or are you living in reorientation? Are you, are you a prophet? Are you in prison? Or are you at peace right now? Um, a real simple question. What does obedience look like for you this week? What does obedience look like for you? What's, what's one step closer to the kingdom that you can take this week? What, what's the hard thing that you have to do this week that God's inviting you into? And, and what's one step this week you need to take to build the future that God wants to create? To be a person who rebuilds, restores, and cleanses, what's one step that you need to take? Guys, I really believe that God is building a, a new foundation. And that that foundation is good. And I believe that there are second words that are available to all of us. Let's be a people who stand together. Let's be a people who pray for that second word. And let's be a people who trust that God has a purpose and a vision for us, even when we stand in the middle of the desert. We love you guys. Have a great week.